website at rankandreview.ca you should tell your friends about the show and you should definitely check out the Terror Table podcast which if you like Rank and Review I think you will also enjoy very much they're friends of the show welcome to the 150th episode and stay tuned at the end of the show for a very special announcement Welcome to the 150th episode of Rank and Review, and it's a very special episode for a few reasons. I mean, 150 is a milestone, and uh, I finally got my sister, Tracy, to be on the podcast with me. Uh, We're doing this over the phone, so uh, the audio might not be as up to snuff as you're used to on Rank and Review, but I guarantee a quality podcast. And remember, this whole show is free. It's a free show, so suck it up, people. Uh, an interesting story, Tracy, because the I remember the very first time I met you. I don't know if you remember the very first time you met me. I do. I came home from school one day, and Surprise! there was this chick sitting at the kitchen table, and Dad said, this is your older sister, Tracy. And I believe I said, okay, and then I ran upstairs into my room. <laughs> And uh, we, our relationship was initially rocky, but now you're one of my favorite people. And you are one of mine. So uh, it's great. It's and great I don't really you. mind now when I show up and you run upstairs into your room. Yeah, it's just sort of a game that we play. <laughs> now it's all in fun. Um, this is a this episode's a long time in the making. You have a stack of six of my movies in your house, and it's been there for what, two years or so, something like that. Two years. Absolutely two years, and we have done more in two months than we did in that two years, for sure. Well, I think this is a good way to go, because I've been having problems with guests. Like, they get intimidated by the stack, so, like, they'll watch one, and then, like, weeks will go by, and by the time they watch the rest of them, they feel like they need to start over again. I've learned to not give people six. I'll give them three to start with, right? (laughs) So that they're not, like freaked out by the the task of it it just seems too big all of a sudden 
But we got to this idea, we, we need to talk more because I love you to pieces and we don't talk enough. So I thought, well, what if we recorded, like, over the phone, a review a week until we had an episode? What if we Mary, did that? Lot, I would do a lot more episodes with you if you just showed up here over a weekend and we could watch, like, six movies over a weekend and yeah. talk about them. Yeah. And that would be so freaking awesome. Right? But for now, we're going to do this noble experiment over the phone. And the theme, the theme of the episode is Homicide Made Hilarious, which we haven't visited until since, like, I think it was like the ninth episode or something of the podcast. Natara and I talked about this uh, subject. So sort of the idea of comedy and tragedy being sort of the uh, yin and yang of entertainment, uh, I guess action comedy is sort of the most popcorn-friendly version of that uh what do you look for in your sort of action comedy well um as you know i enjoy conversing in song lyrics and movie lines right um and so if it feeds that animal i'm gonna love it so this will be a good episode for you probably <laughs> i i am a strong believer in um, making sure that you play in your life and laugh and so that means that means talking in song lyrics and and dancing in the living room and um, absolutely talking in movie lines <laughs> and so <laughs> and so there are some that um, that really that machine and there are some that don't and there are some that are really 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 good stories that you love that don't match any of that and that's okay right well i guess i'm ready to get this show on the road i just want to list off for our, our listeners the six movies that we're going to talk about and give them the warning that uh i have a sailor mouth tracy doesn't swear as much as i do but when i get my what? back are you talking about? Shut your bitch mouth. Seriously, I'm trying to do an introduction here. Okay. This is my Six Homicide Made Hilarious movies we're going to review. We're going to talk about Tropic Thunder, Seven Psychopaths, The Ice Harvest, Hot Fuzz, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and The Last Boy Scout. Listen on, kiddos. What is going on here? I'm about to jump off this, this helicopter like Wesley Snipes. I'm doing the scene right now. What scene? The scene is about emotionality. Where is it? Oh, God. I am dealing with a bunch of prima donnas. The action guy. Who left the fridge open? The award winner. Critically acclaimed Australian actor Kirk Lazarus underwent a controversial procedure in order to play the platoon's African-American sergeant. I know who I am. I'm a dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. The comedian. You think you can do what I do? Take a picture of this. This summer. You want to make this movie right? We take those boys up there, put them in the trees, shoot the whole thing gorilla style. Real fear in the right. Real emotion. Yes. Yes. The movie they think they're making. Exterior. Rainforest. Dust. Cut to a frightening jungle. Isn't a movie anymore. Jungle and Matrix. So This feels pretty real! Exactly. Let's use it! Oh, no. I'll turn you 
Take our speed, man. Some of us might not make it back. What do you mean? Like, not on the same flight? Well, Tracy, we're gonna talk about Tropic Thunder, which is a film uh, co-written and directed and starring Ben Stiller, who's a strange figure to me because of his inconsistency. Because sometimes <laughs> I think I really like the guy, and other times I think I kind of hate his guts. And, like, he, he's really inconsistent movie to movie. Um, Tropic Thunder is both sort of a spoof of, like, big epic Hollywood war, war movies, as well as just making fun of Hollywood itself. And it is ridiculously star-studded. <laughs> Um, it, they obviously spent a lot of money on the movie, but the, uh, just the level of the stars in it and the interest factor made it one of the biggest hits of that year. And a lot of talk was circling around Robert Downey Jr., of course, who's playing a pretentious Australian actor who has decided to do this movie, uh, in blackface, essentially. Um, there's lots of controversy about the movie. They, uh, it's, it's a hard satire, but... I've often said in the past about satirical movies that if you don't stir the pot a little bit, if you don't piss a few people off, then you're probably not a really strong satire. Well, that is the point of satire, isn't it? <laughs> right? You're is, you, step you on toes. The, you choose the topics that are controversial and light them up. Yeah. And uh, take no prisoners. And it's the sort of brave satire that I feel like we're going to maybe see less of in this overly punchy uh, sort of era we've entered where everybody is not just easily offended, but almost eagerly offended, you know? <laughs> That's uh, funny, Larry, because I was going to talk about that, and then I thought maybe I didn't want that to be part of this. Oh, no, I absolutely wanted to be part really, of this discussion. But really, a lot of the things that, that they make fun of in this movie gotta do something about <laughs> We have another guest here joining us in. You can edit this, right? I absolutely can. Okay, <laughs> for it. Let's go. A special guest is uh, Does not Florence. like it when I'm on the phone, as you know. <laughs> I think Florence takes a lot of objection, actually, to Robert Downey Jr.'s depiction of an African-American person. What do you mean, you people? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what do you mean, you people? Um, uh, two acting things that I wanted to talk about in the movie, uh, that surprised me, because, uh, usually I like Jack Black quite a bit, like, especially in a supporting role, I think he can do good stuff, but I do think he's the weakest link in this particular movie, and Tom fucking Cruise, <laughs> I... It, it's that performance is a revelation to me. The first time I watched the movie, I didn't even realize I was looking at Tom Cruise playing this fat, bald, insane producer. Well, I have to say, I agree with you about Tom Cruise. His performance resonated with me, and it was the lasting impression of the movie. Right? <laughs> and Jack Black... I've never had any use for him, and this movie didn't change my mind. Ah, okay. So you've never been on board the Jack Black train? Not even after I showed you that Tenacious D video? That's really yeah, weird. especially. After. <laughs> <laughs> um, so plot. Uh, a, a bunch of these pretentious actors, most notably Ben Stiller, who's like, I think, doing a Mel Gibson type of figure, like a guy trying to shake off the image of his Lethal Weapon franchise. 
and Robert Downey Jr. as this super pretentious, you know, Australian uh, actor and a bunch of crew are going to make the most hard, real war movie ever. And uh, in order to do so, they're going out to an actual jungle and they're going to put these spoiled actors through hell. But through a series of misunderstandings and miscommunications, they end up in some very real jeopardy, and things become incredibly real. So you have the uh, imaginary sort of hilarious fish-out-of-water stakes of the actors in the jungle, and then you have the real visceral danger of the explosions and the gunfire. And then on top of that, in order to introduce all of the characters, they produced these really weird, quite hilarious fake trailers. <laughs> I loved, 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 loved the trailers. They were surprising, and they were delightfully over-the-top and ridiculous. And the kind of thing... And I loved them. You could believe it almost, right? Like, it was uh, so close to real, with all the crazy Hollywood stuff going on. It, it was almost a disappointment that it wasn't real. There will be an Oscar-bait gay priest movie someday, right? <laughs> That will happen, though. <laughs> it's not just funny. It's forward thinking. Ben Stiller also directed this old uh, Jim Carrey movie called The Cable Guy. And uh, I really... It's an aggressive, uh, like, sort of ugly comedy. But it was also quite forward thinking. When you watch that movie now, you kind of feel like it was looking into the future. Um, I don't think that the, maybe the same could be said for Tropic Thunder. But it's the last big true Hollywood movie that I feel had real teeth to it. <laughs> they were not being kind to the studio system while taking part in the studio system. And I kind of appreciate Ben Stiller shitting where he eats a little bit there. <laughs> Seriously, I also appreciated that. And that is part of the over-the-top ridiculousness. Like, you, it's just so far beyond that even... Even the most woke people, come on, guys, you have to laugh. It's, it's silly. That's why it's fun. And if we're not allowed to laugh at this, what are we allowed to laugh at, right? You're not allowed to laugh at anything, Larry. Right, how dare we, how dare we. Well, and maybe yet, we should address the controversy, because... And yet still we do. <laughs> we should address it, though. I think, for me, the Robert Downey Jr. thing is kind of a non-starter. Because I don't think it's a white guy making fun of black people. I think it's no, a, it's, it's a, about Hollywood and the method acting. It's pretentious actors. And how far people are willing to go to be method actors. The fact that he's so far up his own ass that he doesn't realize how insensitive and racist he's being is the joke. It, the punchline is not on African American people. Like I don't no. like I have never been on the side of that being like in poor taste or, or insensitive or costing a black actor an acting role or whatever bullshit argument they put on that. Now the simple in this, in this particular movie, it's about him being such a method actor and. When the other actor calls him out saying, put another shrimp on the Barbie yeah. and makes fun of his Aussie heritage, it's complete payback and turning of the tables. And it's funny. And earned. Yeah. Yeah. The other big controversy was the simple Jack storyline where uh, 
the actor had had an Oscar nomination for playing a person of <laughs> special needs. And yep. uh, look, I, <laughs> I'm easily triggered by stuff like this. I don't like particularly the word retard or when Hollywood tries to uh, sugarcoat, you know, serious disabilities. But again, I, I feel like this is a statement against it, right? The whole speech about never go full retard is, again, he's giving him acting notes. He has no no sympathy or empathy towards, you know, the subject. It's just all about the performance. You're absolutely right. And I uh, I don't like to agree with you all the time, but I agree <laughs> with you on that, in that this is not about that being okay. It's about it being not okay and in the ridiculousness of it it's a parody which shows that none of that is okay and that's again why it's funny Mm -hmm. they're not making fun of developmentally disabled people they're making fun of how hollywood portrays them and how how the audience expects that to be done yeah and how those kind of roles are the sort of thing an actor would take as Oscar bait, right? Yeah. If I if I play this role, they're going to have to at least nominate me, right? Yeah. The, the sort of cold calculation of it. Uh, and then we go to the straight satirical sort of space balls angle, I call it, when they're just sort of lampooning war movies. I've heard people say, like, it's really easy for him to do the Willem Dafoe thing where he keeps on getting shot over and over again forever. And I'll say, yeah, that's easy, but you know what else it is? It's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. It's hilarious. Because, because it's ridiculous. And, you know, not... That makes it funny. It's, because it's ridiculous. It's just only a little bit more than Hollywood would have actually done, right? They're not even pushing it, like, that far. <laughs> Which the I appreciate. I like this movie, other than Tom Cruise doing his little dance oh at the end. God. Oh my God, that stayed with me forever. And and truly, I'm not a Tom Cruise fan and I don't purposefully go to watch movies that he's in because of him. Yeah. But his acting in that movie and that dance at the end <laughs> was memorable. And Matthew McConaughey, again... Not a huge fan, but, but very I funny in this movie. Him as the skeezy agent who is willing to do anything to keep his clients. Yeah, it's funny because a lot of the supporting role, like Nick Nolte, has like a supporting role in this movie. Yeah. Right? Danny McBride has a supporting role. He gets in this. his um, arms ripped off. That's right. Pause. <laughs> uh, all in the interest of authenticity. Uh, <laughs> The thing about the Tom Cruise thing that messed with me, because it took a, a little while for me to actually recognize it was Tom Cruise. Like, they yeah. did some really fucked up things to his arm. His arms looked big and hairy. <laughs> so, like, yeah. I couldn't, like, do the math. It was his voice that finally gave it away. But I just, like, yeah. holy shit. And uh, that scene where he gets the, the best boy in the crew to punch the director in the face really fucking hard. Really hard. <laughs> That will never not be funny to me. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> Boom. 
So, I mean, what more do you want out of your satire? It's it's edgy, it's lively, it's over the top. I know this is the day and age of the Apatow production where comedies are starting to sprawl to two hours or maybe more. Some could say maybe it stays overstays its welcome. But of the big, overbloated Hollywood comedies, this is one of the best ones I've seen in a while. And uh, it's, it's, uh, I like the directing in it, too. I think Ben Stiller does a good job of it. Um, I wasn't a big Reality Bites guy, but I did like Cable Guy, and I liked the first Zoolander. So um, I hope he keeps at it. Give us more. <laughs> Give me some blue steel. <laughs> is there anything else that you wanted to say about Tropic Thunder? Well, it is the true story behind the making of the most expensive fake true war story ever. Yes. <laughs> And Tom Cruise and his dance, that made it for me. <laughs> There's been talk of, like, just making a movie about that character. Tom Cruise is an, is, is an expensive get, but part of me thinks it might be worth it. <laughs> no, I don't want to give Tom Cruise any more attention or money, but that was gold. <laughs> Love it, and it was an integral part of the pleasure of the movie. It was delightfully over-the-top ridiculous, and I love it. I loved it then, and I love it now. Perfect. That's okay, too. I gotta pull myself together, I know, but my dog's gonna end up killed. You're not pulling yourself together, are you? You've got to give it back. Give it back? I'm going to just give back the kidnapped dog. Defeats the entire object of the kidnapping. Put your hands up. No, but I've got a gun. I don't care. It doesn't make any sense. Too bad. I'm going to work. Are you pissed at me for something, baby? Why would I be pissed at you, Marty? Because you're a Billy. You waiting for somebody, old guy? Uh, no. OK, you seem normal. Come on in. We gotta get this dog off the street because it's kidnapped from a maniac. Dandy. I like it. It's got layers. Yeah! An eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. No, it doesn't. There'll be one guy left with one eye. How's the last blind guy gonna take out the eye of the last guy left? Seven Psychopaths is a crime comedy caper of sorts for Martin McDonough. He's actually a well-known playwright before he started making movies. Before this, he made a really great movie called In Bruges. And after this, he made a really great movie called Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. And all of those movies, both of those movies, are awesome. That's right. I think this is maybe the ugly middle child. I mean, I really like Seven Psychopaths, but I would not put it on the same level as I do maybe In Bruges and the Three Billboards movie. But it does have a lot of charm, and it has almost as an impressive a cast as Tropic Thunder, which we talked about last week. <laughs> like, uh, it's... And I find the cast of this movie more impressive. It's cooler, and... that's for sure. And they are very interesting actors, and they're playing very interesting characters. It's a fine line to walk. I'm just going to hit the plot a little bit, because we have 
Colin Farrell playing a screenwriter. And as far as I'm concerned, like, this is Martin McDonough sort of indulging the worst, uh, the worst instincts that a writer can have. Usually when they're writing about a guy who's writing something, it, it, you, can, you can rev up the pretentious engine right away. <laughs> and yes. the way they're going to sort of comment on, you know, what is expected of a Hollywood screenplay and how he's not going to do this and he wants to write something pure. But they're still going to show us all of the stuff that we expect from a Hollywood movie. You know, by acknowledging that they're indulging in cliches, then they allow themselves to indulge in cliches. By saying that he doesn't have any great female characters, they're allowed to not have any great female characters. <laughs> right, they acknowledge it, so it's accepted in the movie. Yeah, um, and it's, I mean, it's it's all well and good, but it becomes sort of a little bit fine, a little bit inside baseball, and a little bit winky. And I think if you didn't have this cast and if you didn't have this sharp script by Mark and Madonna, it could be a little bit off-putting. It could be one of those movies by like, like, why are we cheering for these guys? They run scams. They, they steal people's dogs and then they return them to accept the reward, you know? The character that Sam Rockwell plays is just a complete basket case. I mean, I love Sam Rockwell. Don't, don't get me wrong. Can we have little Sam Rockwell babies? Is that a thing we can do? Well, it's interesting because in the acknowledgement, it makes it okay for them to make fun of things. For example, tied into the women characters are poorly written and have no value really in the story. They also make the comment that um, the protection of animals is sacred. Yes. Far beyond the protection of the characterization of women. Nobody. Like you're okay to objectify women or to kill women, oh, yeah. but don't. But don't you hurt the poor puppies? No, one of the women gets gut shot by Sam Rockwell is almost a punchline, and. Yeah. Uh, you never worry for the Shih Tzu. You can worry for everybody else. It, it opens with these two great character actors, uh, Michael Pitt and uh, Michael Schulberg, having this little bantery talk about, you know, how they're going to perpetrate this murder and that being interrupted by them just being executed. Those, those two actors probably could have inhabited an entire movie of their own. And that's the stuff that I really like about this movie. The isolated stories that they tell, the, the individual stories and origins of the seven psychopaths. The screenplay that Colin Farrell is writing is what we're actually, we're sort of watching the film adaptation of his screenplay. That's sort of the way I interpret it, right? Well, I love that. And I love also how those stories, he, he gathers the stories with some help. And... He, but they're all manipulated, and well, we're going to use that, and there's this, and then we learn the truth about the other thing, and then there's the guy who's got the rabbits, who's pissed off in the end, because... <laughs> Tom Waits. Because he contributed, <laughs> but he and didn't it, get recognized. Wasn't, it really wasn't um, the meat, any, anywhere in the meat of the story, but his request was... I got to get the message at the end, and that didn't happen, so... I'm going to have to kill you on Tuesday. <laughs> Tuesday is not really good for me. <laughs> the isolated, so, I love the story about the Quaker guy who gets revenge on the man who murdered his daughter. <laughs> 
and who takes the vendetta to the next level. <laughs> um, and uh, just the isolated stories. In a way, that's as or more impressive, which is strange to say considering how much I love the cast. Can you say well, a few it, words about it, Christopher it, Walken, though? <laughs> it took an awesome concept and drew an, an anthology out of it there's an anthology at the root of it, and all that cast makes it really, really interesting and gripping, and and the pieces that they lose in between, you've got people manipulating that back in, and just it was just so much fun. And even in the point where it was ridiculous, like in in the midst of the violence where um, somebody's shot and then they shoot them in the head and the head actually explodes. Yeah. When they're like, sort of talking out their imagined climax for the imagined scenario or the imagined movie, which is increasingly resembling their own lives. Right, because it's manipulated too, and, and that's part of the beauty. But it's ridiculous, and, and that's why we love it, because they, they make it, weird enough that you can watch it and it's amusing instead of awful. Yeah. Uh, Woody Harrelson is becoming increasingly good at bringing the menace when he wants to. He, he seems like a really unstable and dangerous guy and I love that sort of the big defeat for him in the movie is not getting arrested or not having half of his gang, you know, executed. And, and even shit, his dog doesn't love him That's anymore. the thing. The fact that's that his shih tzu doesn't love him back, he can't handle it. <laughs> and that's where you come to, okay, so these guys, they're bad guys. They do bad things. They do. They're awful. They're criminals, for sure. But are they really psychopaths? Because they have relationships. They care about other people and they fight for their the things that they love well i mean i personally draw the, the line at murder i think it'd be a fair case to say that sam rockwell's character is off you know right off his lunch <laughs> right um and the isolated stories that people were interviewed again we don't sure how real all of this is but it's really entertaining while it's happening um, it's true. The real stakes come from, you're right, the interpersonal relationships and, you know, how much we like the Christopher Walken character and how doomed we know he is. But but how sad we are for, you know, when we find out what happens with his wife and uh, how there's weird comedy to the way his end is handled. Like, he, he, he truly becomes fearless when he no longer cares about dying, when he, like... Put your hands up. I don't want to. But I have a gun. Too bad. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, really, it's... honestly, if you know that this is the end, yeah. why? Why? Yeah, I'm not going up with uh, out with my hands up in the air. <laughs> you do what you need to do, and I'm not fucking playing. Yeah. And the movie, like, even though, as far as, like, from watching other crime comedies, you knew that character was doomed, even so, you know, the movie really paid off on that, and, like, uh, I really, I mean, I always love me some Christopher Walken, but, yeah, great role for him here. Yeah, 
Well, and it's a little different than a lot. Uh, he always he always plays Christopher Walken, mm-hmm. but he is dif- different in every role as well. So it's always him, but it's always him in that circumstance. And in this movie, he's weirdly dr- walking the line between both fragile and dangerous, which... Right! I love it. Not as easily done. I think who gets lost in the mix, actually, in a weird way, is Colin Farrell. I thought Colin Farrell was, like, awesome and in Bruges. And I think here, you know, he's sort of playing the pretentious writer and sort of the guy who the story is spinning around, but who is maybe in some ways the least interesting part of the story. Well, he is not the key player. That's right. He's a witness as much as anything else. True. He, yeah, he... He's writing a movie, and none of it really is about him, and it's all about the characters, and the characters are so very interesting. And if you look at definition of psychopath, um, I really, I'm looking at them, is, that, is he really a psychopath? We throw that word around quite a bit. Right. Criminal? Would he be diagnosed that? No, probably not. But that's the Criminal? title of the sure. screenplay he's working Social? on. Social? Sure. Immoral, probably, mm-hmm. but mm, they care about each other. They look after each other. And when it comes to the end of it, that movie's got to get made. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we're going to make sure it gets made. And are you talking about no shootouts? Mm-hmm. Of course we're, we're going to have a shootout. And even the writer coming back says, oh, <laughs> this is the perfect for the final shootout. What a perfect setting. <laughs> Have you ever seen... You've seen Adaptation, right? Oh, yeah. In that movie, the, the twins that Nicolas Cage are playing, writing the screenplay that we're watching, and you notice a notable shift in tone in the screenplay when his goofy brother takes over the, the typing of the screenplay. I kind of felt a little bit of this here, where some of the stories definitely have more Sam Rockwell influence, and some of the stories have a lot more Christopher Walken influence. Yes. Um, And I hope they get a credit on the screenplay, because they did the bulk (laughs) of the work for you. (laughs) It was a lot of fun to watch, and like I said, I, I think it's one of the smarter movies in this category, and, um, and it challenged me, and I don't think I'm stupid, but, <laughs> but I really had to, um, I really had to think about what was happening oh, as things. You got to wrap your head around it. It's not one of these things you can watch distracted in your phone. And as much as I've been, I feel like I've been picking on the bad parts. I really do like this movie, and and I like the the writer director. I'll watch anything this guy makes. But, uh, like I said, of his three movies so far, this is my least favorite, but that certainly doesn't mean I wouldn't recommend it, so. <laughs> well, when it comes down to the final rating, we might disagree on this movie. Okay. Uh, because I really like movies that make me think, and um, between the two that we've talked about so far, this is a better quality movie, and it's not as funny, but it's certainly... It's smart, it's thoughtful, and it's sharp. And it, it like it doesn't mind shocking the audience, and I respect that so much about McDonough. Yeah. Good enough? Good. That's just going to scare it. But in a place where not much goes on. Watch this. Ah! 
<laughs> Ta-da! A whole lot is about to go down. Three people have died in a week. Accidents happen all the time. What makes you think it was murder? There hasn't been a murder in 20 years. You're saying this wasn't an accident. Not everyone's a murderous psychopath. It's high time you realise that. You and your monkey. Did he mean me or that? Have you ever wondered why the crime rate is so low and yet the accident rate is so high? Oh, uh, yeah. Bust this thing wide open. From the guys who watched every action movie ever made and created Shaun of the Dead. You never taken a shortcut before? All right, uh, this week's recording of, uh, of my sister Tracy in Calgary, we're going to talk about some hot fuzz. And she's sticking her tongue out at me. Uh, Edgar, Edgar Wright is the director of this, and he and Simon Pegg have uh, combined their talents many times. Uh, Shaun of the Dead happened right before this, and World's End happened after this. These three movies make up the Cornetto Trilogy, as it is called. I love Shaun of the Dead, and I'm, I'm quite fond of World's End. Hot Fuzz is, again, this sort of ugly middle child to me. Um... It came advertised as like this big budget sort of taking the piss out of Michael Bay action movies. And what it actually is is kind of like a, a duck out of water comedy uh, of manners. And I think that actually the comedy of manners and the sort of charming British township uh, conspiracy works way better than any kind of this idea of making fun of big budget, budget action. I mean, Tropic Thunder did that way better than Hot Fuzz did. And Hot Fuzz sort of proclaimed that that's what it was doing. So I accuse Hot Fuzz of false advertising, and I accuse it of being the least funny of the three Cornetto trilogies, but I don't think I would tell someone not to watch it. I would just say, you know, from Edgar Wright's category, this is the guy who went on to give us Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and Baby Driver. I mean, I, I, I set the bar a little higher than this, so it's kind of a lukewarm review instead of my typical enthusiastic one for Edgar Wright. Um, that's where I start, anyway. Are you freezing? Well Nope, not at all. I was just waiting for a question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want a question? Okay. No, I, I, I actually quite enjoy Simon Pegg, but I watched this movie and it did not give me that same um, tickle, I guess. <laughs> it, did, it didn't engage me on the same level as the other movies in this category. And I kind of I, I really had to, had to sit back and say, why why is this movie even in this group? Um, it's a good movie, but I think you have to have a different expectation going into watching it. Um, it, ha it The comedy is much different. It is not the same kind of comedy that we've seen in some of the other movies. And the story is is interesting and well told but it's on a whole different pace and i just did not i, I did not connect with it on the same level it's a comedy of manners right this really super tough cop from london gets moved out to the countryside where he has to babysit this tiny small town where apparently no crime takes place and, and the, all badasses uh, yeah <laughs> 
Well, at the beginning of the movie, there's this really energetic sequence showing us how crazy talented the Simon Pegg character is, and how he's the best cop in the world, and it's actually kind of quite amusing how he's he's considered a subordinate because he's too good a cop, right? Uh, <laughs> and and so they have to send him away. Yeah, he's just he's messing up the books for them. And don't don't just look that. You can feel the brakes hit on the movie the second he hits that small town. This comedy of manners is not sort of the typical energetic environment that I think Edgar Wright's comfortable in. But as to why it's included in the, the list, we're sort of calling this homicide made hilarious. Well, there's a lot of grisly death in this movie. And like over-the-top grisly death, it seems to be, you know, a direct counterbalance to the, quote, sweetness of the small town. <laughs> like, they do not spare the gore in this movie at all. <laughs> no, they don't, but it, uh, I did not find it as, well, and and maybe it's where, where I'm watching it in this process, but I didn't find it as shocking or, like, the other movies we've talked about, there were outrageously hilarious moments that were memorable. Right. And and there's, I'm not quoting anything out of this movie. Right. Uh, I also... I like to talk in song lyrics and movie quotes. Yeah, that's true. I, I got nothing. Yeah, no, no. It, it, it helps to, you know, avoid genuine communication when you just speak in, in, in Simpsons quotes. <laughs> I understand this. <laughs> I also, I also have another complaint about the movie, though. I like it when there's a solvable mystery. Like, we knew there was some kind of conspiracy going on. We knew that, like, he was going to get to the bottom of why there's been no murders, because... But when the twist is, spoilers, everybody, it's everyone in the town. Hmm. There's no payoff. We all saw that coming. Yeah. We, a, we saw that coming, and B, there's no payoff. There's no aha moment. There's no peak in the action. Um... He develops his friendship with, with the, the, the son of the mayor of the town, and they seem to genuinely bond with each other, and uh, the, this helps him to be able to slowly turn the tables. But again, it, the movie continues to make strange decisions, as far as I'm concerned. Did you know that Kate Blanchett's in this movie? No. Kate Blanchett's in this movie. She, what? Where? She plays the girlfriend at the beginning of the movie at the crime scene, and she's got a mask over her face for the entire sequence. But that was his ex-girlfriend, and, and they have this whole sequence at the beginning of the movie with Kate Blanchett, and they don't show her face. And I have to tell you, Tracy, if I have Kate Blanchett in my movie, I'm going to show as much of her as she's willing to let me. Yeah. So, <laughs> But again, you have Kate Blanchett, dude. Use her. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a waste. Right? <laughs> it, it reminds me of, uh, they did that sequel to Dumb and Dumber, and Bill Murray's in it. But he's wearing a gas mask the whole time he's on screen. You never see his face. <laughs> so, That's a complete face. Wh why? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, a cameo is one thing, where you get to see someone's face, and it's like, the, I didn't expect that. Mm -hmm. That's... You know, a, a, a nice surprise, a little Easter egg in there, or whatever they choose to do with it. But it doesn't work if nobody knows. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to just be negative about the movie because I do think like it's got a pretty warm heart to it, and it's fairly charming and harmless. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily like a bad movie, and it's obviously well put together. Talented people made the movie, but. 
um, there are things that I can cling to. I mean, the the dynamic between the two leads is always good. They have a good rapport, obviously, and and it it is a little bit of a reward when when you get the 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 clicking of the relationship toward the end where they really are starting to get each other. Yeah. Like, he understands that it would be hard to grow up in that environment and not be corrupted by it. So, the fact that this guy is as sweet as he is is kind of uh, adorable, in a way. And I have to give uh, points to Timothy Dalton, who's playing one of the, like, one of the villains who has a real hard time keeping his mask on. Like, he just looks <laughs> like he's bad. But uh, his continual frustration at being thwarted and his eventual terribly painful injury that he suffers i mean that all paid off well for me i thought that like like that end of the story worked but i couldn't help but notice when the fireworks finally 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 start finally. to happen at the end of the movie it it didn't feel like this big cathartic over-the-top payoff in fact i believed the actors a lot less when they had guns in their hands than i did when they were being the sweet and it was funny and over the top, like, the idea that all of them have these little secret compartments with Uzis in them, and they're just ready to go at any second. I mean, it's superficially amusing, but I just don't think it's as funny as the movie seems to think it is. And and the thing is, with with some other movies, you get a setup uh, for for the ridiculous. Like, there are little there are little stones on the path to ridiculous. Yeah. And then, so when, if they get really ridiculous, you, you're already halfway there, so you're good. But when you're going along with the sweet and nice and British humor, and then, and then they go to ridiculous, it just, it was not the reward I was hoping for. It, it wasn't a bad movie. That's the thing. It's... It, it was, it was a good movie, and it had great moments, and and it's not my favorite. It's engaging, but it feels like an action movie with not that many thrills and a comedy with not that many laughs piled uh -huh. on top of itself. So the fact that it's as entertaining as it is, and I can say that, is kind of <laughs> interesting in of itself, right? It's kind of in spite of itself. Yeah. <laughs> but it certainly wouldn't make me want to give up on Edgar Wright. Like I said, have you seen Baby Driver, Trace? I haven't seen that yet. I think you would like it. <laughs> um, but I like Simon Pegg. I just don't... I just... I don't well, know why I did this movie better. Because his character isn't funny, I think is what it comes down to. Nick Angel is too much of a badass, so it was left to everybody else around him to do all the funny. And uh, they were again doing this sort of sweet kind of aw shucks funny to counterbalance the psycho crazy at the end of the movie. But... It, it never really bored me. I watched it. I enjoyed it. But I, it felt like a fast food meal. It seemed kind of forgettable in this catalog. I agree. And if it comes down to hot fuzz, um, you win. I win? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's good enough, girl. This is Charlie Arglis, the most talented mob lawyer in all of Kansas. Did I mention to you that I really wish you wouldn't do that? Yeah. I'm gonna break his fingers. As an attorney, I advise you to cease and desist. I'm almost done. If you are what you do, and you never do anything, then you know what are you? Our finest gifts we bring for How much? Two million one hundred and forty-seven thousand dollars. Anybody 
but a lawyer would consider the consequences. Does this mean you're rich, Charlie? Because if you are, we could run away together. It is a thought. Leaving witched up? Damn right it's a thought. I should be home in Kansas City watching my kids open their Christmas presents. Now I gotta waste the whole day looking for that nitwit. Have you seen Charlie tonight? No, you just missed him. Maybe we should leave now. In case you haven't noticed, there's a hockey rink out there. Boy, I didn't realize how slippery that was. You going somewhere, Mr. Argus? Um, so what I think the ice storm is, is like Harold Ramis, who's famous for directing all these classic comedies like Stripes and Groundhog Day, wanting to say, but I'm a really real grown-up director and I can make grown-up movies for grown-ups. And look at how grown-up I am. <laughs> and I think he did an actually really good job. Yeah. But it's funny because it's not the sort of typical warm atmosphere. In fact, it's called the ice harvest, and the warmth is completely deliberately drained out of the movie. It's set on Christmas. It's about a guy, John Cusack's playing a guy who has decided to steal a million dollars from a completely insane mob boss. But he figures since he's doing it over cover of Christmas uh, that he's going to be able to get away with things. But uh, And he has no... He has no attachments. Nope. He has something really that would hold him back. He is the relentless underdog in this movie. He's a weird person to cheer for, though, because he a, he's making a lot of pretty, in surface level, not smart decisions, and his motivations are not always clean. Like, we've seen enough noir movies that, like, at least for me, I never trusted the, the Connie Nelson character, who he is sexually obsessed with. And for some Connie reason... Connie Nelson, or whatever character she or any of the other Connie Nelsons portrayed, they are the femme fatale. Yeah. No. You're not they allowed to trust them. Ever, anywhere. But, but John Cusack, he, he is a wholesome guy and he is this in lots of movies. He's the wholesome guy in bad circumstances who tries to find some sort of redemption in his exit. And that doesn't mean that he won't do bad things to get there. He's been, uh, you know... Uh... He figured out this way to steal all this money from the mob. Like, these are bad people, but he's not going to kill anybody. In his original idea of this plan, nobody died. Right. And he makes a clean exit. And he is the guy who's been the underdog. Yeah. The mob boss, the mob lawyer, who doesn't want to be known as the mob lawyer. He is the guy whose wife cheated on him with his friend, who gave up the home to her, and the kids to her and he lives this darker sub life outsider life from his family and from his the whole world that he used to kind of master he's distanced and he's finding his exit yeah and he is not planning to go like he's not planning he's not stealing from people who can't afford it he doesn't plan to hurt anybody, and um, he wants to take his crush with him, which is really kind of sweet. <laughs> but naive. <And> naive. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Well, and I like her, uh, Connie Nelson's position in this this whole world is she knows everybody's after this bag of money. She's just going to wait to figure out who gets the bag of money and then kill that guy. <laughs> right? Like this is, a, this is a smart woman. Right? Let the other people do the dirty work. She's like, you guys all figure your shit out and I'll just finish the job to make sure I end up with the money. I think what makes the movie work for me, because it's fairly familiar in noir territory, uh, is the cast. I mean, if you want somebody to play a loud drunk, but not a hateable character, you hire Oliver Platt. Oliver Absolutely. Platt can do that. <laughs> He's can like... Can you be obnoxious that you need to get that from the character without you not liking him? Exactly. It's a hard balance to stray, but he does it. He's done it before in other movies like Digstown, where, you know, especially playing that loud drunk, you're like, oh, dude, you're really pathetic right now, but I'm, I'm on your side, okay? <laughs> I'm on your side. It's the classic drunk speak, you know, he just, you should not be saying that, you should not be this loud, you should not be this, oh, you know, big in the restaurant, exactly, let's just dial it down. You dial it down. <laughs> Your puppy's being protective of you. She's not even It's okay. I did a podcast with a friend of mine who had to keep on spraying his cat with a water spray, like <laughs> nozzle. Just to... <laughs> um, yeah, Randy Quaid playing a psycho mob boss. Pretty, pretty easy, pretty easy decision there. I mean, he's. I've said it before on the podcast. He's played so many eccentric weirdos that he finally just turned into an eccentric weirdo. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. But he's um, scary in this movie. You do not want to be on the bad side of this dude. <laughs> no, it's really believable. You're like, okay, I get it. There's a, a whole lot of nope coming off of this right now. Nope. <laughs> I uh, did like the noir mood. Um, we don't see that in a lot of movies right now, or even then. I, at least I didn't. Yeah. Uh, and the um, the lighting and the staging very much highlighted it, especially around uh, uh, around our female. Connie uh, uh, Nielsen, yeah. With the lighting around her eyes and the shadows, and it was very, it, without being campy, it was very. I don't know. It really set a mood. I like the Christmas setting, too, because you have all these happy, drunk people set against, you know, this terrible storm that's happening and all this bloodshed that's going on around it. But for everybody else, it's Christmas, right? Well, you know, Christmas is a really dark time of the year for yep. half of the world. Half of the world. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Um, and Billy Bob is no stranger to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, who we haven't mentioned yet, and uh, this is another element of the script that I both liked and didn't like. I like Billy Bob Thornton as an actor, I like his character here, but from the second I saw him, I knew not to trust him at all, right? Of course. Right? I mean, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was just, like, obvious. This was uh, The movie's not about him, they're not going to just be buddies till till the finish line. Obviously, something is either 
from the very start line corrupt about him or they're going to have a falling out and we just have to wait to see how that plays out. And we're right about all of that, but because the cast is so strong, I think that it, it kind of gets away with it. And, and again, um, of the movies in this group, um, what a strong and amazing cast. Right. <laughs> like everybody was, it, it was all amazing. And, and the little things in the story were so uh, unhappily rewarding, but rewarding. Like um, the, the policeman, Travis, always wanting, please remember my name, please remember my name, please refer me, please refer me. And then he got, gets shot by the guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he never did know his name. Nope. Always got it wrong. I, I think little moments too, I like, well, just being Canadian, how slippery it was. John Cusack falls on the ice several times. There's a great scene where he smashes his own head against a stop sign, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> really? Or when he hits the brakes and swerves around and ends up face-to-face with the cop car. Yeah. <laughs> That's a Canadian moment. <laughs> it does have this Fargo sensibility that it feels Canadian and how nice everybody is. I think it's the Christmas vibe, but, like, uh, <laughs> it seems like John Cusack could be found dragging a body by that cop and they'd still have a nice conversation while they were talking, right? There was a warmth to him. Do you need somebody to pick you up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make sure you're safe and all. But the timing actually does bring up that suspect. That, that you could almost think when they were pitching the ice, uh, ice harvest, they're like, it's like Fargo, sort of, kind of, right? It's got yeah. this darkness to it. Here's my question for you, though. Is it funny? It's not funny. <laughs> I didn't find it funny at all. I found it. I found it interesting, and I found it... Um, but watchable, and I, I did have, I did see the moments of humor. It's not a funny movie at all, and so again, I'm, I, well, I'm not sure how it fits in this category. I like this movie a lot. Yeah, it, it's just guilty of false advertising, is what I'm basically saying here. I mean, I would say if you want to watch an engaging, well acted noir movie, for sure. If you wanted to watch a comedy. This is a freaking movie. There's there's no comedy to it. Yeah. Um, other other than any other well done movie where you have moments of of relief. Levity. Right? Yeah, to balance out the darkness. <laughs> or so, even during. I, but of all the movies, I really really enjoyed this one, and I'm surprised that I didn't know about it sooner than I did. Right. You hadn't heard of this one before. Well. I heard about it well after the fact. Right. There's good little lines in here, and really Bob Thornton's talking about the hitman. Counting on him having a level of uh, of love and trust in his relationship with his wife that simply wasn't there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the way he spoke about her earlier in the film gave us every indication of that. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was set up, but it was funny, like... And again, even when he is in, like shot by accident by this guy who he's described as folded up like a card table, he's like pissed off by it. He's like, God damn it, that was dumb luck. That was dumb luck. 
And it was a beautiful moment. It wasn't hilarious and it wasn't ridiculous. No. It was just, it was a, a little levity in a dark film. But, but I liked it so much. And um, I have to ask you, Larry, um, the, the theme that he kept writing on the bathroom wall, the, the telephone, the back of the RV, what do you what do you have to say about that? As Wichita Falls, so so falls Wichita Falls. I think it's sort of like his mantra. It 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 kind of reminds me of another noir movie that's more overtly trying to be funny called Red Rock West, where Nicolas Cage is trying to leave this small town, but no matter what he fucking does, he just cannot leave. And there's a running gag of him driving past that Welcome to Red Walk West sign again and again and again. I think the circular sort of logic or narrative of that is just sort of him. He thought he had this perfect easy plan where he's going to walk out of this place with a million bucks and his best gal in his arm and everything was going to be, you know, happily ever after. And uh, it, it works out the long way around for him, I guess. But, his uh, best guy. Yeah. Not, yeah. But there is no sense in the in the phraseology. No. I don't think that it really, to me, I, there's nothing to decode about it other than, you know, it's something that's on his mind. You you read a lot of Stephen King. You know Stephen King characters will have some weird catchphrase that they get locked in their mind for some reason. Well, it occurred to me, actually, that while Stephen King is particularly connected to Maine, and I get that, um... How do we get the connection to Wichita Falls with John Cusack? Because that's not the first time he's been there in a movie. No. I guess my honest answer is I don't know. It would be interesting to figure that out. Mm. And I think it's okay to say you don't know. Mm. And that's worth looking into. I will say that I think that the that the Ice will entertain you and it will make you smile. I don't think it will make people laugh. There is a certain darkness to it that is like sort of macabre and like so so dark you kind of almost have to laugh and go oh my god. But it's it's it was sold as a comedy and I honestly think it's because Harold Ramis directed it. Right, that's how you want to pitch this. It Kat. was it was misrepresented re, misrepresented absolutely. Um, it's a great movie to see, but not if you want to laugh. Uh, ache from laughing. It's not okay. happening. Okay. Sounds good. I think I think we did it. Oops. Oops. Sorry. No. Ah. From Shane Black, the creator of Lethal Weapon. Do not play detective. Moron. Go home before the bad guys do something bad to you. Two corpses in three hours. I mean, that's unusual, right? Yes. Comes a mystery. It's a frame up. First things first. Do you have the corpse? I, I, I got rid of it. You threw it away. Yeah. Look up idiot in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? A picture of me? No. The definition of the word idiot. That starts with a kiss. Why'd you lie to me? It was an excuse to stay around you, so I mean, I think. Ow! Did I just cut off your finger? Yeah. It's on the floor. Pick it up. Pick it up. And ends with a bang. Where? The girl! You put a live round in that gun. Oh, yeah, there was like an 8% chance. Hey, who taught you math? Robert Downey Jr. What do you think, I'm stupid? Val Kilmer. Yes, I think you're stupid. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang.
So Tracy, Larry, <laughs> I want to talk about uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I love this movie. <laughs> okay, first of all, Robert Downey Jr. Yes. I have not seen a movie he's been in that I did not like, and he's particularly charming as the underdog in this one. <laughs> Well, uh, he's playing one of these likable assholes, which is like what he sort of yeah. does, right? But the, this sort of... I know, right? <laughs> like, if you, if you look at what he does for most of, most of the movie, kind of an asshole. It's, it's all the presentation, right? True. But, but he is vulnerable, and he is real about his assholery. Yeah. Like he, he doesn't pretend to be anything that he's not. He's well, like, oh, I'm a big, I'm a big goofy fuck-up. It's funny you put it that way, because the plot starts with him pretending to be an actor, <laughs> right? <I know. laughs> but he's not pretending to be an actor. He fell into it, literally. And he was genuinely terrified at that moment, so he gave a really good performance. <laughs> and it just happened to align... With what he was actually dealing with. So he is the um, well-meaning underdog who falls into a situation and makes the best of it. Uh, it's written and directed by this guy named Shane Black. Uh, he was made famous for becoming one of the first like million-dollar uh, screenplay writers. He did, like, Lethal Weapon in the 80s and stuff like this. Uh, and uh, he also has written the last movie that we're going to review, The Last Boy Scout, as well. Um, this whole noir L.A. thing where there's some bad Hollywood and there's corrupt cops. I mean, we've seen this so many times before. It is the cast, and in specific for me, the narration in the movie. The narration is a unique quality. I mean... You see it a few times in, in the 80s movies, but it takes a certain charm to get away with it. And they get and away with it. They get away with it really well. Yeah. But uh, there's a new show coming on right away, uh, uh, Good Omens. Uh, yeah. They're adapting the Neil Gaiman and, and Terry Pratchett novel. And I've always wondered how they're going to do that, because that book very much to me is how it's told, not the story, right? It's all about the footnotes and the voice. Uh, and I feel that way about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. If I'm just to describe the plot, you feel like, I've seen that movie, I don't want to watch the movie. But you really do want to watch the movie, because in spite of it being quite familiar, it's also very energetic, very funny, and, you know, the best thing that Val Kilmer's done in a long time, and maybe the last time he was really, you know, seemed invested that I can remember recently anyway. It's been a while since yeah. Val's been really, you know, knocking it out. <laughs> Truly, um, I'm not a huge Val Kilmer fan. He's had like momentary, um, he's had moments where he's shone, and um, other than this movie, if immediately comes to mind only um, 
only as uh, Elvis in the True Romance. <laughs> I have this weird connection with Willow because I saw it at the right age. I love him in Willow <laughs> for some reason. I just think he's genius in that movie, and of course Tombstone. I think he's Tombstone. awesome. Tombstone, he killed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is very true. Yeah. Um, but the rest of his career really, for me, does not resonate. Um, I enjoyed him in this movie, and the the whole gay Perry. Right. It's it's still kind of funny, but it is getting that humor is dated. But um, I, I, I like that... But they, they that, played it well. Yeah. It, he, I mean, he rolled with it and kind of encouraged that um, humor. And so I think... I don't know. I It still played well. I like that Shane Black doesn't really play PC. And I, I, I mean, I... I I have a dark sense of humor. I don't particularly mind it, but you're right. I think in the modern culture, a lot of people might want to wag their finger at this movie, but all this movie oh, really... But if it's only that part, that is such a small part, right. it, that, is not, that does not define the movie. And uh, Perry gives as good as he gets, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it, it's not like a one-way beating in any way. And... Uh, <laughs> That's one of the things I enjoy about the movie. Like, uh, Downey Jr.'s character screws things up a lot. He screws things up with Michelle Monaghan a lot. He screws things up... Every freaking time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. When he wants to play that game of Russian roulette, <laughs> he screws things up big time and ends up inadvertently murdering a dude. Um, and uh, he just sort of falls into the next scenario and has to deal with it. But... Uh, it, the, like I say, because the movie's so familiar, it, it, it's really to its credit that you never really feel like you know where it's going, and it does consistently surprise you. I felt like there were lots of layers to the story, and where you think that it's going to be, like, it's going to be at this layer, and then you get a little bit something else, and uh, it was really engaging the whole way through, where you were just not quite sure it was all sorted out yet. Right. But... It, it's one of those cases where it's it's the singer, not the song, right? In, a, in another person's hands and a different cast, I bet you this movie's kind of meh. <laughs> I really it do. would have been, for sure. The players were well chosen. Yeah. Well um, yeah, I, I just... Zingers, one-liners. Uh, I like that uh, Val Kilmer's character needs to said, so they call you Gay Perry because you're gay? No, no, I just really like the name. Yeah. Uh, uh, very dry. And the and the prized moment when the dog eats the finger. Yes. I mean, like, okay, he's lost his finger, it's sewn back on. He's lost his finger, he's got it back. It, freaking finger. Yeah. And then the dog has it. Get it back. Kill the dog. And the dog goes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're just going so screwed. <laughs> so yeah, we haven't really talked a lot about the plot, but I mean, it's one of these convoluted, spiraling narratives. He is brought to L.A. under the auspices that, or to this Hollywood party that he's going to be perhaps offered this big part, but it's it in itself is a sort of just a 
a sham. They're trying to get another actor and scare him into, you know, going for a lower price because maybe they'll hire this guy instead. So every angle of his life in L.A. is being played by someone else. So uh, the, the whole movie is how is he going to dance his way out of this mess that he finds himself in. It's all, it's a story of manipulations. He's being manipulated. He manipulates um, the heroine and by fibbing to her and she's manipulating the people around her and they're all it's hollywood and hollywood is is a it's a, a city of manipulation yeah and it's interesting michelle monaghan for once in these noir movies is not this femme fatale role she uh, does accidentally yes take his finger off in a door but he may or may not have deserved that at that point in the movie <laughs> And she didn't do it on purpose either. It was it was an accident. But Noir has taught me to never trust the dame. You gotta wait for, you know, the third act and she's gonna take a gun out of her purse and kill someone, right? And uh, they didn't play that card. And truly. But I was waiting for that. Yeah. I was waiting for that. I I did enjoy the noir um, subtleties and and I was prepared for that. The fact that it didn't happen was kind of rewarding, um, but I did enjoy the, the flirtation. Yeah. And again, a memorable final shootout while handcuffed to a corpse. <laughs> like, uh, you don't know where the movie's going. This is like the best quality it's had outside of its cast is that like around every corner there's something really messed up. Uh, spoilers, when both of our characters suffer an injury, I thought it was really cool. It was one bullet. It passed through Perry and then hit the Downey Jr. character. It was like two birds, one stone. It was a very shocking moment in the movie. And uh, the way it's able to balance these really sort of light, funny moments with some really heavy, dark ones. Is Perry going to die? Or that scene where that poor woman is executed while Robert Downey Jr. is hiding under the bed? The pink hair. Yeah. And she's like, are you? Yeah, as she's dying. <laughs> and he's trying to shush her because he does not want to be killed as well. It's And then he gets up in the guise right there anyway. Yeah. You're like, Ugh. <laughs> Yeah. There are a lot of uh, moments in that. Yeah, I, I just think that overall, it's an excellent movie worth watching. And um, this is going to be a really hard um, rank rank because I have different perspectives on the movies. And so we have to be really clear, I think, when we come to the ranking part about how we're ranking them. Is it is it on the category? Is it on the movie itself? Um, because I'm very divided yeah. on... I can tell you how I do it, but uh, like I, I go knee-jerk my gut reaction, my favorite to least favorite, but if I'm having problems, then I fall back on the genre. If we're talking about, you know, Homicide Made Hilarious is the name of the episode, so they're, they're, they're balancing sort of high-stakes action or, 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 you know, suspense with comedy. And I think Kiss Kiss Bang Bang does that at least very well. Um, I'm not going to tell you how it ranks, but uh, we'll get there. <laughs> You're not going to tell me how it ranks? 
I thought I had a say in this, Larry. Not till the end of the episode, go. <laughs> This ain't no game, Flash. Joe Hellenbeck's a private detective who's run out of luck. If you touch me again, I'll kill you. <laughs> two for two. Told you. Jimmy Dix. I like Prince. Is an ex-quarterback who was thrown out of football. Another tragic tale of wasted youth. You're nobody. Shh. Don't tell anyone. They were trying to clean up their acts. You vacuum. I'll dust. When they got dragged into the dirty world of sports corruption. So you're going to bribe some senators to legalize gambling. Legalize. Sports gambling. Now. Son, we're going to a ball game. They've got one shot. What am I gonna do? Point at the bad guys and shoot! To get the goods. Ah! On the bad guys. This once, I would like to hear you scream. Play some rap music. <laughs> Out of ideas, man. Take your best shot. If they don't kill each other first. That was a bomb? That had a hell of a factory recall. Bruce Willis, Damon Wayans, the last Boy Scout. Danger's my middle name. Mine's Cornelius. Don't tell anybody I kill you. So the last Boy Scout is an action thriller from 1991, directed by the late great Tony Scott. He of True Romance. Uh, he's done a lot of good action movies. He's uh, unfortunately no longer with us. I loved the shit out of this movie in 1991. And I enjoyed watching it now, but I have to admit, it is definitely more than a lot of the other movies that we've talked about starting to show its age. It feels, it feels dated in a way that a lot of the other movies we've talked about don't yet. Now, I don't know how much that is the movie's fault. Like, we've seen Bruce Willis play this role so many times, it's just hard to give a shit anymore. Like, uh, Damon Wayans was hot off of In Living Color at the time, if anybody knows or cares about In Living Color. But now, uh, nobody really... Like, let's put a missing persons out on... on, on, on wasn't he in a TV show or something? Uh, the Lethal Weapon TV show or something? I don't know. That, that's how invested I am in Damon Wayans, right? Uh, it's interesting, I, like, the... I agree. You agree. We have seen this, we've seen this movie a million times. So we, we fall back on the screenplay, on the zingers, on, on, you know, Shane Black's sort of quips. And they're there, but I think maybe not as much as with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. At least not as much in service of the story and not as credible to the situation. I think that this Bruce Willis character is one of these uh, heroes who's read the script and knows he's going to get through this alive. So because he's never scared, it's kind of hard for us to ever be scared for him. And that kills some of the suspense. We know Bruce Willis goes in. He He's the good guy who's kind of a bad guy who 
uh, has a lot of shit that he deals with and that he's come from. And he still has a good heart. And he's smart and he jumps in at the right time. But we've all seen the story. And when this movie first came out, he's considerably younger than... 91. He's hot off of Die Hard, really. And so... And so then it was fresh, but you're right. It doesn't age well when there are so, so, so many movies. It's a Bruce Willis movie, and all of the Bruce Willis movies have a couple of uh, zingers or quick catchphrases, and none of them in this movie really stood out to me. Like, there were... I'm not saying it's a bad movie, and I'm not saying that I didn't enjoy it or that there weren't moments where I went, yeah. yeah. Um, but you put it away, and it doesn't stand out from any other movies. Like Liam Neeson, if you're going to watch a Liam Neeson movie, you know what you're getting. Yeah. It's reliable, and when it's done, you you don't have to worry about it or think about it anymore. Yeah. It's a Bruce Willis movie in that same way. And so for me, what I started to get off on a little bit is more of the supporting cast. When this movie came out, Halle Berry is a no-name actress, right? She plays a stripper who gets killed in the first reel of the film, right? So, But it's kind of cool because there's Halle Berry, right? Um, Danielle Harris, who plays uh, Bruce Willis's daughter, um, she's been in a lot of the Halloween movies and has grown up to be a screen queen for, uh, the generation directly behind mine, uh, a lot of boys feel a lot of feelings for Daniel Harris, <laughs> and again, she's just a baby in this movie, but she's a very good actress, I think that her character is strong in the movie, and you believe that she was raised by Bruce Willis, so, yes. and, um, I gotta mention two villains in the movie, Taylor Negron, who's, uh, has a memorable death by helicopter towards the end of the movie, I think is a really good, slimy, hateable villain. And, of course, Saskatoon's own Kim Coates has a one-scene role in this movie where Bruce Willis punches his nose into his brain and kills him. I did not know that guy was from Saskatoon. That is. That's Kim Coates, yeah. Yeah. And also very cool the way that he died because you didn't see that a lot back in the day. Yeah. You touch me one more time and I'm going to kill you. <laughs> he, right? he made a promise. He, he kept a promise. <laughs> he delivered on that promise not only once. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Bruce Willis has uh, two cases that he's trying to solve. And of course, like is always the the way in these things, they turn out to be kind of related. Origin- Didn't you visit that in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? What? But he makes it fun and funny, damn it. Um, First of all, yeah, he's hired to look after this Halle Berry character, and she ends up being killed, so he feels a little bad about that and wants to get to the bottom of it. And then he finds out that his friend and uh, a guy who helped him get a job has been sleeping with his wife. And uh, very immediately after he makes that discovery, his friend is blown up in his car. And uh, he is a prime suspect, of course, because, you know... The dude was sleeping with his wife. Uh, Chelsea Field, another amazing, beautiful actress who someone needs to put an APB out because she just vanished. She used to be in movies, and now she's not in movies anymore. <laughs> um, 
So it is the classic sort of feel, uh, but Tony Scott is much more of a visually uh, jittery director. He almost feels more music video in his style, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, even though it's got a lot of like energy to it, it's not quite as stylized as this. Uh, this has a lot of the smoke-filled rooms and the shaky, lilted cameras and, like, uh, the action sequences are... They're not quite, like, born identity shaky, but it's not its not usually just a shootout. It's kind of like a, a punch, a, a fight, a struggle, and uh, chaos. That's what Tony Scott lives for. The later he gets into his, mo in his filmographies, when you get to movies like Domino and stuff like this, it almost becomes, like, schizophrenic. <laughs> like, you, you have a hard time following the action at points. Um, or if you've ever seen Man on Fire, that uh, Denzel Washington movie where he's looking after the little girl. Uh, it's almost like you're hallucinating through portions of that movie. It's so crazily shot. Um, so this was, I think, him sort of starting to experiment with that, you know, taking the action movie and making it a little bit... As ridiculous as the story is, the action feels real. The violence makes you kind of whinge a little bit, like, ow, that hurts, <laughs> you know? The big explosion with the fiery um, halo. Right. <laughs> a beautiful explosion. A weirdly beautiful explosion, do you know what I mean? <laughs> You're making a face at me. Um, I don't know. I, I personally don't get that, but I respect your opinion. <laughs> well, but I'm, I'm saying that as both a good or bad thing. Like, I don't think explosions in the real world look awesome necessarily or beautiful. No, they're not necessarily as pretty. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, I did, when we have those um, images, you can appreciate that they are well filmed. Uh, but I did not miss them in any of the other movies. No, no. Uh, I think that this was still, because maybe it was such a Bruce Willis joint, they were trying to inject it with more diehard than maybe the script was even asking for. Yeah, I think so. Like I said, the car doesn't just explode. It explodes and flies into the air. There's not just a car crash. They go zooming down a hill and yeah. land upside down in a swimming pool. It's very big. Yeah. The whole movie is very big. And you were talking... Over the top. Yeah. And you're talking about the uh, politically incorrect humor. Well, I would say if you had a problem with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, then you could probably just sit out The Last Boy Scout because there's some ugly, ugly stuff in this movie. Bruce Willis uh, sort of dirty jokes his way out of an execution early in the movie. And, yeah. you know. <laughs> uh, you, the Yo Mama, or Your Wife. Yeah. Your Wife So Fat. Um, yeah. And. We are, we are in a time of transition, and I think that we have to respect what humor was then and what humor is now, and know that he's dealing with bad guys, and the bad guys are going to be bad and have you know, bad taste in jokes. Um, so, so it won't age well. Um, it, it's talking about aging movies it's aged okay because we are still conditioned to bruce willis movies yeah. and the yo mom yo mama jokes they're not okay but he is telling them to a bad guy to get out of a bad situation and the guy knows they're bad 
And so the use of it gives it a little bit more uh, life than it would have in a different context. And, you know, I, I'm looking forward for culturally for us to spin back the pendulum in the other direction because I do think we kind of pivot to either extreme. But, you know, uh, we're living in a day and age where you couldn't release a Pulp Fiction, and uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's a good thing. I don't think that's a good no. thing. So, and and I don't think that learning to do better and be better means that you should pre- pretend that we were never the other way. And yeah. in a lot of ways, um, books and stories tell us where we've been and where we've come from. And I don't think that we should just delete that. I think that it needs to be learned from and acknowledged. You don't just pretend it never was. No. No. And uh, again, sort of like what I said at the beginning of the review, this movie was awesome in 1991. And it was kind of awesome in 1991. Like, I remember it opens memorably with this football player pulling out a gun in the middle of the field and killing a bunch of guys to make a touchdown and then executing himself. And it's one of, like, the yeah. holy fuck openings I've ever seen. It's just like, what is happening here? <laughs> this was way before we had a lot of other shows that um, kind of uh, built our resistance up on the shock, right? Right. I, I could say that better, and I don't have the words, but... Um, but yes, we were much. It was much more shocking then. Yeah. Is now, and that's okay. <laughs> if you're a Bruce Willis fan, for sure. If you're a Shane Black fan, for sure. Otherwise, just know you're getting into a 1991 action movie, and it is what it is. Right. Good enough. Good enough. Okay, Tracy, thank you so much for doing this. And we did it. I'm so proud of us. <laughs> it, well, it took a bit. We got it done, though. It's done. And we've had to postpone a few times. It's sometimes my fault, sometimes your fault. Our worlds are just chaos. But um, we reviewed six movies, and here we are. We're going to rank them. I am anxious to hear. I'm anxious to hear what was your least favorite of these six movies and why. My least favorite, actually, don't judge me, was The Last Boy Scout. Um, There's nothing wrong with that movie. Of this six, the one that I would have happily not watched. Okay. It was in some tough company, to be fair. 
it, it was in Tough Company, and I've seen Bruce Willis movies, and there's nothing wrong with them, and they serve their purpose. And um, it that movie just of the six was the least favorite. Boom. Okay. Fair enough. What was your fifth place then? I would have to say, and I am surprised to say it, Tropic Thunder. Because that has been one of my um, A-list. People say, well, what kind of movies do you like? I like movies like Tropic Thunder. (laughs) Um, I think that it was brilliant at the time. And it had lots of wow moments, and it had tons of quotables. Yeah. And it just did not age well. And so it's it's dated, and um, and I'm sad <laughs> that I love it as much as I did when it first came out. There's a lot of brilliance to that movie, but of the six, it is number five. Okay. That surprised me. That surprised me. You've already surprised me with your list. It surprised me too, but in looking at these movies, it's the truth. All right. Let's do it. What's your fourth place ranking then? I will choose for number four, Hot Fuzz. Only because um, this was a good movie it was a good movie well acted in lots of like interesting moments it was not hilarious it's charming i struggle with this category because hilarity is subjective and time sensitive hot fuzz was i don't there's so much that's good about this movie (laughs) it's not hilarious and it's not the best movie of the six there it is so that's the bottom half of your list what's ranking in third place now this I struggled between the ice harvest and seven psychopaths and I think I have to go with the ice harvest because again Excellent movie. I love John Cusack. I love Billy Bob. Um, I certainly do not hate that hot, long-legged goddess. (laughs) Connie Nielsen, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I love the mood. I love so much about this movie. Um, but it was so much more good movie than hilarity. So that's number three. Love it. Would watch it again ten times. Nice. So in second place, well, should I guess? I'm going to say you put seven psychopaths in second place. You're right. <laughs> You're- 50 chance. <laughs> actually, it's a funnier movie than my first choice. Um, I don't think it will age as well. Um, it is fun, and it is 
uh, you can't argue with the caps. No. <laughs> Hello. That is amazeballs right there. I know I'm dating myself saying that. Um, and there are layers, and it is hilarious. But when it comes down to which one am I going to watch 19 more times, um, it will be Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. That's a there, really good list. That Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, it has charm, it has wit, it has layers, it has mystery. You have to pay attention there are things that go on. I'm, I'm not saying that doesn't happen in any of the other movies. I just felt that Kiss Kiss Bang Bang of the six was the one that I would go back to most for an excellent movie with with some chuckles. That's a really good list. We're incredibly close. Unfortunately, you're not going to be stealing the championship from Lee Beckman this week, but you should do more episodes because we, we came close here. I also put The Last Boy Scout in last place. And again, okay. that's that's a movie that when I was young, I would have like, you know, I would recommend full, full-heartedly, you know. Um, it's fine. It's just, I think it's one of those movies that's time has kind of come and gone. You know, yeah. in, in a strange way. All the way in fifth place, I put Hot Fuzz. I find that the movie is more charming, but it makes me smile more than it makes me laugh. And it, it was kind of false advertising. I was going in expecting it to be this, you know, making fun of Michael Bay. And it was a very different thing. Now, I shouldn't criticize it for being a very different thing. But on this list of movies, I don't know... Uh, it, that's just where it landed out. I also wanted to mention something that I didn't mention in the review. I really hate the explosion at the end of the movie, where the entire police building explodes and, and everybody somehow survives in the rubble. Like, <laughs> like if, if the movie hadn't gone full cartoon yet, like by that point, I mean, I, I don't know. It was the step too far, and I forgot to mention it in the review. And I think that's another one of the reasons that it went to fifth place for me. When you're going, come on! Exactly. Come on! Really? Not one person died? Not one person died? And okay. Come on. <laughs> so, uh, all the way in fourth position is where I put the ice harvest. Um, but my justification for putting the ice harvest that low is Homicide Made Hilarious. I think it's the least hilarious in a lot of ways of the movie. Oliver Platt gives me some laughs. I love drunk Oliver Platt. And I know you love the movie. I'm sorry that I ranked it lower than you did. But uh, that's where I put it. All the way in third place is Tropic Thunder, which I was sort of surprised that you ranked Tropic Thunder so low. Um, I was the opposite of you. When I first, I kind of got around to seeing Tropic Thunder, and it's so overperformed for me. Like, I couldn't believe how good Tom Cruise was in that fucking movie. Like, it just, like, it just blew my mind. And there were enough laugh-out-loud moments that it was and a pretty epic satire, good, you know, Ben Stiller shitting where he eats, you know, making fun of Hollywood like he's not part of that machine, Mr. Knight at the Museum franchise, right? <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. It, it just way overperformed for me. I found it intensely charming. And, uh, yeah, I wasn't bothered by the blackface Robert Downey Jr. Lucky girl, you got two Robert Downey Jr. movies in this list. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, Tropic Thunder 
came all the way in third place. For me, that's that's surprisingly high considering the the list that we have around us. You know why I guessed that you put Seven Samurais in second place? Seven Psychopaths? Or Seven yeah. Samurais. Seven Psychopaths? Because uh, that's where I put it. I put it in second place as well. Uh, I know it sounded like I was talking shade towards it and that it was one of those movies about a writer examining his work and it's kind of climbing up its own ass a little bit. But it's also intensely charming and fun and unpredictable. And uh, I, I, if I didn't sell that enough in the review, let me reiterate that now. But we agree on number one. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Right? Because uh, as far as balancing laugh and action, I think that it does the job the best of any of the other movies on this list. That said, I think it's a good list of movies. Like, even putting Last Boy Scout in last place, it's not, like you said, a bad movie. I wouldn't tell someone, don't watch Last Boy Scout. It's an is-what-it-is movie. It's just, I think it had some tough company. But we were super close, Trace. <laughs> and it was so much fun watching these movies and talking about them with you. Thank you so much for letting me um, be part of this with you. Do you think I can get you for episode 300 or maybe even before? <laughs> yeah, um, but you should just come over with a stack of movies and let's watch them together, okay? Yeah, yeah, we'll just binge it. <laughs> All right. Take, thanks, Trace. So that was the 150th episode of Rankin Review. 151 will mark the seventh season beginning of Rankin Review and the seventh year of the podcast, if you can believe that. I hope you're enjoying your summer. This is dropping in the summer of 2019. And to celebrate 150 episodes, I'm going to take a bit of a hiatus. There will be no new episodes of Rankin Reviews dropped until October of 2019. I know, I know, I'm taking a couple months off, but I get to have my summer, and I'm going to be using that time to bank some episodes and record some really interesting stuff. So, I'm sorry for the hiatus, but I promise there will be more Rankin Review in the future. We're going to talk about some of the best movies of the aughts. We're going to talk about anime. We're going to talk about some retro horrors. We're going to talk about an interesting, controversial filmmaker named Woody Allen. There's a lot of interesting stuff on the horizon, so stay tuned. Thank you, as always, for listening to Rankin Review. Please check out the website at rankinreview.ca. Please tell a friend about the show, and if you enjoy Rankin Review and you need something to fill the gaps, check out the Terror Table podcast, because it's a great show. As always, this is your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons, thanking you so much for supporting my podcast, and you'll be hearing me this coming October. Have a great summer, you guys.